last week, we started a new series of messages about spiritual warfare, the great battle that each of us who are in Jesus Christ face each and every day as the evil one, Satan, tries to kill, steal, and destroy, as we talked about last week. As we come to this topic and we go through this for the next few weeks, my concern or my fear is that we don't take this serious enough. Because it's too easy in our American culture of churches, it's too easy for us to get into the routine of, well, I'm in church today, we sang some songs, heard a sermon, I go home, and then how much do we really put into practice? If I could, I'd be up here just with a big old warning light and a big blow horn just going off like crazy for us, like warning, 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 we've got to get this, we've got to understand this, we have to take this so serious, just like... Um, some major disaster is taking place because if we don't take this serious, then the evil one will definitely win in our lives. And I know I can't make you, te- make you do that, but my hope and my prayer is that you will realize that the subject that we're dealing with is one of the most important, I believe, that we deal with and wrestle with as Christians, as Christ followers. And we've got to realize how important this topic is. I want us to take a few minutes and dig in just a little bit deeper to one of the verses we considered last week, Ephesians chapter 6. This is our main text. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. He goes through and he spends time telling them about who Christ is, and then he tells them how to live in Christ, and he closes out the book to say, listen, you know who Christ is, you've been instructed to live in Christ, but now be warned. And here's what he tells them, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, what he's saying is, you don't get all tied up in, re- in the relational challenges that we face, whether it be a challenge between husband and wife, or son and daughter, or you and a friend, or someone that you meet at the store. Many times that's where our challenges start to bubble up. He says, that's not who our challenge is against but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So he goes on and says, listen, our struggle is against this great army, this massive army that the evil ones put together, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil. The devil has this army, and those are actually ranks within them, and they put them together, and, and they're attacking. They're, they're constantly on attack, and they're not human, they're not human beings, but fallen spiritual creatures that seek to do you and me harm, and especially to those who are pursuing Christ. And when you're pursuing Christ, you're pursuing to walk in Christ, that's what Satan doesn't want. We're fighting against them. It speaks of kind of a hand-to-hand battle of dealing with the spiritual forces of wickedness, and it's warfare, and it's in progress right now in church. We must open our eyes to see what's going on around us. We're not talking here about some stuff that's make-believe. I'm not talking about the, the latest movie that has been made that's been uh, made up on your computer and, and has all this great ideas that are all pretend. We're talking about real stuff. We're not talking about dreams and visions. We're not talking about some type of Christian riddle. We're not talking about some little cute costume of this red devil dressed up with horns. We're talking about somebody who wants to kill, steal, and destroy us. And we've got to open our minds and our, and our ears and our heart to realize that we're in a very real battle with very real 
beings who wants to do great harm to us and take us away from Christ. There's the demonic world that's manifesting itself all around us each and every day and each and every hour. And people are being ensnared into this and led into all kinds of demonism. And there are spiritual forces that are working in this world and evil forces that are working against the church. And, our, and we must wake up to it, church. They're working against each and every believer against God and against Christ. They don't want God or Christ to win. They don't try to make light of these things. We cannot make light of them. It's happening all around us, and so we need to be opened up and understand this. Allow me to summarize some key facts from last week. First of all, and must not forget this as we're in our discussion over these few weeks, Satan was defeated at the cross. Can't forget that. Colossians chapter 2 says, And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so because of what happened to the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, Satan's de defeated. At the cross, sin's penalty was paid for for all people for all time. First Peter says, For Christ died for the sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring glory to God. He was put to death. And the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so there's victory when you are in Christ. And the penalty of sin is paid for. And sin's power was broken. And Romans chapter 8 says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And so we no longer have to live in that life of sin. We no longer have to live underneath that old law. Because sin was defeated. Satan was defeated at the cross. However, Satan engages us in guerrilla warfare. Because he wants to discourage. He wants to deceive, he wants to divide, and he wants to destroy God's people and God's program and God's purpose. And so we got to be alert and we got to be awake. So today I want to answer this question for us. How do we prepare for Satan's attacks? How, how do we have our eyes open? How do we get ready? Ephesians chapter 6 gives us the answer. That's what we're breaking down over these next few weeks. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Therefore means what was happening before that. You got to stop and look back. Therefore, what is he talking about? Therefore, well, remember he talks about who we are in Christ. He talks about how to, how to live in Christ. And then he says, now there's this struggle and this struggle is against the evil one and he's rearing his ugly head. Therefore, let me tell you how to handle this. And here's what you do. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now we're going to stop there just for today. We'll continue next week with the rest of the text. But how, what do we do in order to be prepared for Satan's attacks? First of all, we've got to identify Satan's schemes. Our text tells us that he's scheming. He's putting together plans. He, he has a war plan. And we need to be aware of what are some of those war plans. We've got to be able to identify them. So let me give you some ideas to think about that are ways that he works. He targets your mind. His weapon is lies. His purpose is to make you ignore God's will. And so he'll put lies into our head. Lies that says, oh, are you really loved? Oh, are you really forgiven? Oh, how could you have done that? And he whispers all these little lies into us. Oh, did God really mean that? Did he really say that? He didn't really mean that, did he? And he whispers lies into our mind. He targets our body with suffering. Some of you walking in that right now pains and aches that are in the body or sickness that you deal with. And the purpose is to make you impatient with God's will because we say, why me, God? 
Why am I dealing with this pain? Why do I have this sickness? Why has cancer hit my family? Why me? Why am I walking in all these kinds of challenges? And what happens is when our body gets tired, then we start to question God and say, God, why did you do this to me? And we don't want to wait patiently for God's will. He targets your will. His weapon is pride. His purpose is to make you independent of God's will. Targets your will by sometimes by giving you success. Look what I've done. Look at the business that I've created. Look at all the money that I'm making. Look at my success in ministry. Look how well I'm doing in the school system. We look at, look at all of our, our good accomplishments, and he puffs up our pride, and then we start to realize, why do I even need God? We start to live by ourselves because Satan says, let me, let me get on your good stuff that's happening. And you start thinking, this is what I have done. He targets your heart and your conscience. His weapon is, ac- his weapon is accusation. His purpose is to bring an indictment by God's will. And it's the indictment of guilt. It's when you do something that you know you've done wrong. You do something you know doesn't honor God. And you start to think, oh my goodness, I'm an awful, terrible, horrible person. How could I have done? And the lies start coming into your head because he starts feeding those kinds of lies and going, oh, he doesn't really love you. He doesn't really forgive you. Oh, you're so terrible. And what happens is then he starts to draw us away where we go, well, I don't want to get close to God anymore because I start to believe those accusations. We must be aware of how he works. And once we are aware, then we get ready for the battle. See, how do we prepare for the tax? First of all, we got to identify his schemes, but then we must resist the enemy. God doesn't tell us to go on attack here. He doesn't tell us to go out and go looking for the fight, to go out to the battle. Picture yourself as a soldier standing at the camp the border where the army has set up the tents for the night or for the week, and your job for that night is to stand there and protect all your other fellow soldiers. You're just stay there on guard, watching out what's taking place. Your job is to stand and watch. And if there's any kind of enemy that would come your way, then you stand and you resist to protect all of your other soldiers. You're not going to leave your post. You're not to go out in the fields looking, hunting. You're simply there to resist and then do battle to protect. Our job as Christ followers in spiritual warfare is to stand guard, to be ready to be able to fight when the attack comes, not to go out looking for it, but be ready when he comes and I'm ready to resist. I'm ready to stand guard. We're to resist the enemy with the weapons that God has provided for us. Let's look at it this way. We're standing at the border that surrounds our hearts and our minds. And we're supposed to protect our heart and our mind. And one day temptation comes at you and starts to threaten or attack you, passing by your border. Well, we have to, we have, passing by your camp of your heart and passing by the camp of your mind, are you ready for it? Sexual temptation comes by. Oh, she looks good. Oh, he looks good. Oh, let's go do a little flirtation. Are you ready to resist? Being untruthful. Ah, it's just a little white lie. No big deal if your mom or dad doesn't know. Oh, I don't have to tell my husband. I don't have to tell my wife that. Oh, I don't have to let my boss know that. Let me just go ahead and fudge on these reports just a little bit. Just little white lies. Are you ready to resist? Stealing? Well, that's just a few pins or a few pieces of paper. or It's just a, a little bit of going out to eat on the business credit card that really wasn't business related. It's just, just little tiny things, but... He starts to creep in. Are you ready to resist? Protect the heart and protect the mind? Anger? 
been dealing with that one maybe lately, that I'm getting angry at my wife or angry at my children, angry at my friends. Remember, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but boy, he loves to get us angry at one another. Because when we start getting angry at one another, then we start having all kinds of fights and discussions that are very much unhealthy. See, if we're unprepared for battle, the temptation will walk right on past and will immediately surrender to it. But if we're prepared to resist, resist the temptation and do battle, then we'll win. It's of vital importance that we're equipped to the temptation, equipped to stand against the temptation, because if we're not, then most likely we'll fail. This is true for every spiritual attack that we go through. I can resist with God's help, but I must be prepared before the attack begins. You know the best time to make a decision about um, things of, of spiritual life issues and things of temptation? Make the decision before it happens. I will not participate in. I will not go this far. I will not go in this direction because I know that they lead me down roads and paths that are unhealthy that are not of God's plan. And so you resist. So we identify resist, and then we stand our ground. So when the battle is over, in any kind of physical army battle, military battle, there is casualties of war. There's the army that has resisted and stood well, and then there's some who have probably fleed and they have left. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. You stand up against him, not turn. It doesn't say run from the devil. It says resist the devil and he will flee. The word is run. Whenever you resist and you exercise those spiritual muscles and you get stronger in that, then we stand our ground. Then Satan has no choice but to retreat and he takes off. Now he won't quit. He'll go on to somebody else. But he cannot stand up to a child of God who has equipped himself or herself with the weapons of warfare that God has provided for us. He attacks, we resist, he flees. You know what? He'll come back. He'll attack, we resist, he'll flee. But you know what we're doing? We're exercising our spiritual life muscles. And the stronger we get, then the less that temptation will come at us and the less that temptation will be so strong, he'll return again and again and the pattern will repeat itself over and over again until we say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm having victory here. The battle will never end. And many times you start having victory in one, he'll say, well, let me find another weak spot and go that direction. But we resist and he flees. And then we're to put on our armor. And this is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, most likely, as Paul was writing this text in Ephesus, he's in prison. He was probably chained to a Roman soldier. Or he had Roman soldiers right nearby him where he saw them all the time. And he writes about the spiritual armor. And I can imagine Paul looking at the, the soldier and making this comparison going, well, they're wearing a helmet and they have a sword and they have this, this breastplate. And so he starts making a comparison of our spiritual warfare that we have to the body armor that he's staring at every single day while he's in prison. And during the time of the 12 Caesars, the Roman army would conduct morning inspections. As the inspecting centurion would come in front of each legionnaire, the soldier would strike uh, with his fist the right side of his breastplate. He would do like this that covered his heart. The armor had to be strongest there because that's what they knew it would protect from a sword or from an arrow that was coming. And so they want to make sure the heart was protected. As a soldier struck his armor, he would shout intergritus, which in Latin means material wholeness, completeness, and entirety. In other words, he's saying, my material, my, my, my 
breastplate, my, my gear is all ready to go. And inspecting centurion would listen closely to the affirmation of the ring. You know, like if you ting a glass and you hear that, that ring, they listen as you pound, you get the ringing metal that comes about. Satisfied with that, he would move from one soldier to another soldier to another soldier to another soldier and do this every single day, making sure that the army was ready, that they were ready for battle. And about the same time, the Praetorians or Imperial bodyguard were ascending into power and into influence. Drawn from the best soldiers of the legions, they received the finest equipment and armor. They no longer shouted out intergredus, though, to signify that their armor was ready. Instead, they struck their breastplate and they would shout, Hail Caesar! Hail Caesar! to signify that their heart belonged to the imperial personage. Not to their unit, not to an institution, not to a code of details, but to a person. We're here to serve one person. They armored themselves to serve the cause of a single man. A century has passed, and the rift between the legion and imperial bodyguard and its successes, it grew larger and larger. To signify the difference between the two organizations, the legionnaire, upon striking his armor, would no longer shout integritus, but would instead shout integer. Integer means undiminished, complete, and perfect, speaking of one's integrity. It not only indicated the armor was sound, it also indicated that the soldier wearing the armor was a sound character. Like my armor is ready, but my heart and my mind is ready. He was complete in his integrity. His heart was in the right place. He had the right standard. He was not associated with the immoral conduct that was rapidly becoming the signature of the Praetorian guards. The army of integrity continued to serve the legion well. For over four centuries, they held the line against the marauding Goths and the Vandals. But by 383 A.D., the social decline that infected the Republic and the Praetorian Guard had its effect upon the legion. So as a fourth-century Roman general, he writes these words. When because of negligence and laziness, parade ground drills were abandoned, the customary armor began to feel heavy since the soldiers rarely, if ever, wore it. Therefore, they first asked the emperor to set aside the breastplates and and male, and then the helmets. So our soldiers fought the Goths without any protection for the heart and head and were often beaten by archers. Although there were many disasters which led to the loss of great cities, no one tried to restore the armor of the infantry. They took their armor off, and when the armor came off, so too came their integrity. It was only a matter of a few years until the legion rotted from within and was unable to hold the frontiers. The barbarians were at the gates." And we can learn a lesson from that, a lesson from the Roman guard about the importance of armor. See, if we're going to keep our integrity as Christians, we'll don the armor that God has provided and we'll never take it off. Personally, I believe the church has become maybe a little weaker through the years because we've not held up our integrity. We've not held up the armor the way God wants us to stay true to the armor. So let's talk about God's armor for us. Let me just cover a few aspects of it. First of all, part of the armor is truth. Look at verse 14, Ephesians chapter 6. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Satan's very first spiritual attack came in a form of deception. He came to Adam and Eve and persuaded them that God's word to them was not accurate and that they needed to make their own decisions outside of God's will. When they said, did God really say don't eat of that? Deception. 
lying, things that are not truth. In other words, one of the greatest weapons Satan's attacks and lives a person is their integrity. Integrity. He wants to attack us in the area of truthfulness. A person cannot be rightfully accused of being dishonest in any way, shape, or form. We must be people of integrity. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Whereas our Father, our Father God is joyful with us when we walk in truth. The weapon of truth is His Word. When I have opened up my heart to God and allowed Him to form me, when I get to know Him through His Word and shape me and allow me to be transformed, then I walk in the truth of His Word and not the truth or the falsehoods of this world. The world has all kinds of lies to offer. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. The psalmist writes these words, Search my heart. That's a a position of I want to be true. I want to be right. And so that's a prayer, actually, that we should be able to pray. Lord, search my heart and show me if there is any untruths in me. Show me if there's any way in me that's not of you, of any way that does not align with you. When we live in a life of truth, then we cannot be deceived by Satan's lies. When we start living in the truth of the gospel, we start to recognize what is real and what is not real. When I was out in Utah a few years ago at a ministry conference, talking to some of the pastors there who were dealing with and speaking of the all the different philosophies that are out there, but mainly the um, the LDS community that's out there. I said, how, how can you know their way and, and study their way and get all that study? They said, we don't study what they teach. I said, you don't study what they teach? They said, no, we don't study any other religion of any kind. We study the Scripture. They said, when we study the Scripture, then we know what is not true. Church, we need to know the the Word of God. We need to study the Scripture. We need to be people of the book. We need to be opening God's Word. We need to be reading it and studying it so we realize when something that comes is not of the book, of God's Word, we say, that's untruth, and I'm going to live only by truth. The second part of the armor is righteousness. The second part of verse 14, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Those of us who are Christ followers have been given God's righteousness by himself. When God looks upon us, he sees us free from sin. He sees us as righteous. But there's a righteousness that we're called to live by. It's a righteousness that acknowledges the purity of living in Christ, but also that we're going to live our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So there's a righteousness that is given to us at the point of salvation that you're made right. All your sins are done away with. But there's a righteousness that says, I'm going to live underneath the lordship. Now that word lord, we don't like that word lord. Because that means someone's a master. That means someone's in charge of me. That means someone has to tell me how to live life. But that's another, that's an act of righteousness here on this earth right now that we live underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we say, I want to know his plan. I want to know his purposes. And I'm going to follow those. In other words, because we've become made, been made righteous, we will live righteously. We won't continue living in the old way. We won't continue living in the law. The body armor is what protects our heart, and it's by living a life of holiness and purity that our hearts are guarded from Satan's attack. I can't expect to possibly win the battle if I'm going the other side now and again just engaging in sin. Well, let me go wander over here. You know what happens when you go wandering into the other military's uh, camp? Usually your life will be taken, or you're going to be arrested. 
You're going to be in prison. But we tend to do that in our spiritual life. Oh, let's just wander and dabble a little bit of sin over here. Oh, now let me go back with God over here. Oh, let me go wander a little bit of sin over here and dabble in this camp. Oh, no, let me wander back over here. For instance, oh, you know what? There's a party tonight. I'm going to go to that. I'm going to hang out with my friends. Ah, I'm sure we're going to drink a little bit too much, but ah, that's all right. Let me just kind of wander over here. Let me drink a little bit. Let me engage in drunkenness. Even though we know the Word says, don't mess with it. Don't be drunk because we know that's a sin. We say, yeah, let me participate. And then we go back over here, oh, I want to do things of God. Well, you know, there's another party a couple weeks down the road. Let me go back and participate in the drinking. You know, I, I warn you, parents, I warn you, young people, drinking is Satan's lie to us right now. Drinking is one of Satan's lies where he's like, yeah, let's just go participate. But it's not just the only one. There are so many different sins. We come over here, we say, let's start dabbling in them. And then dabbling becomes Satan's way to draw us in full-fledged. And that's what then kills, steals, and destroys. See, if we're going to live in righteousness, we say, nope, I'm going to choose righteousness and walk over here in God's way and only in God's way. I'm not, I'm not going to participate in, in that at all. It's, it's like a good football team or a good basketball team. You know, I love watching football, but sometimes football gets really boring to watch to me. When a team is really good and they find a weak spot and they have a good running back and they find that the other team has a terrible defense, and they go, you know what, we're going to just run off the right side. And they run off the right side between the tackle and the guard. They run off the right side between the tackle and guard. After a while, it gets boring, but they'll keep doing that because they know there's a weak spot there. Or when I was playing basketball, we would always study our opponent, and we knew who the weakest defender was. And it may be, wow, we got a really good three-point shooter. They don't have anybody who can guard it, and so we're going to just bury the three-point shot until they can stop it. If they can't stop, we'll just keep shooting until we defeat them. Satan does the same thing to us. He finds our weak spot. He finds a temptation spot. It's your eyes. Maybe it's your language. Maybe it's your thought life. He'll find that. He'll just keep coming at you over and over and over again until we resist and until we stand because he wants to destroy us. See, if I decide today that I'll live my life like Jesus lived his life, I'll be armored against those kind of attacks. We've got to have our eyes open to unrighteous living in our lives. There's one more piece of the armor I want to discuss today. And that's peace. Look at verse 15. He says, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, it seems kind of strange to tell someone who's engaging in a battle to put on peace. That doesn't make sense. Wait a minute. I'm in a battle. I'm to resist. We think of a battle. We think I'm in a fight. But then you say, Put on this gospel of peace. What is he talking about? What's this weapon? You'll notice that the peace he refers to is a peace that comes from the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. On one hand, we could say that this is a peace that we share with others, but I think there's so much more meant here. He's talking about doing battle from a perspective of one who lives in peace. In other words, to realize, I'm going to go through my battles. I'm going to go through the sickness battle. I'm going to go through the temptation battle. I'm going to go through the hardship battle. I'm going to walk in these battles. But to realize that no matter what Satan throws at me, I can still walk through that in peace. I don't have to walk through that being down and discouraged and out and, and, and thinking the, the sky is falling and that life is just terrible and horrible. No, I can walk through that still with hope. It's the person who's walking through divorce it's the person who gets the news about the terminal illness. It's the person who lost their job, and you're around them, and you're like, how are you still joy-filled? How are you so calm? How are you handled this? And they, and they can honestly look at you and say, I know that God's got this. I know that Jesus is carrying me. Yeah, I don't like it. My, my world is spinning around me, and things are falling all apart 
around me. I had a conversation this week with a teenage girl who mom and dad are going through a divorce and, and it's really ugly. And she was the most peaceful child that I met as a teenager. And I said, how do you handle that? And she said, I just know that God has a bigger plan. I was like, wow. I actually told her, I said, I wish some adults could hear you talk right now. Because she had the grasp of knowing, yeah, life's falling apart, but I'm going to walk in Jesus Christ and God, God's got this. That's the peace of the gospel peace that we walk in. That I know, you know what, life may be coming at me, Satan may be attacking, but there's victory, and the victory's already been won at the cross, and we can stand firm, we can resist the devil, the things he throw at us, because we can have peace that surpasses all understanding. Church, let's not forget that God has objectively defeated Satan and his agenda. We don't have to allow Satan's agenda to win in us at all. Not at all. He has delivered us from sin's penalty and the power that ultimately will deliver us from sin's present. Right now, do we have to wrestle with sin? Yeah, because we live in this fallen world. But we'll be delivered to heaven one day. In the interim, we're involved in guerrilla warfare with the demonic forces. And as believers, we have been transformed, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light with all the rights and the privileges and the positions of a child of God. We're in his family. The spiritual battle we fight involves a responsibility on our part that we put on. Put on the spiritual protection. We don't want to be like those Roman soldiers who decide, oh, we don't want to wear the breastplate. We don't want to wear the helmet. We don't want to put on, and then they're eliminated. We would need to put them on. God's provided for us. It's up to you and me to put on the armor. It's up to you and me to decide to embrace the armor, the gifts that he has given us. And my hope and my prayer, church, is that we'll take this seriously and we'll equip ourselves today.